Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dr. Raj Iyer, the Chief Information Officer of the Army. Raj, thanks so much for taking the time. In many ways, this is an exit interview we're having today. Jason, thanks for the opportunity to chat with you again. We are, as I said, uh, talking about your decision to leave the Army as, as the CIO. So let's just start there. I know it was a two-year term, so maybe it was eventually going to end. Why now and, and what comes next for you? Give me a little bit of uh, insights into that. So this is always time limited and term limited. And so uh, early on, what I had to really do was to set the conditions for my departure. And quite frankly, you know, what I've been telling folks is, you know, the sooner I could get myself out of the job, the better for the Army. So that was being uh, my motto all along. And so that's the reason why we established the Army Digital Transformation Strategy. It's some very had very, very clear outcomes defined, lines of efforts established, priorities established and aligned to Army priorities. And so that was our guiding document to decide when was the right time for me to move on in terms of progress that we've made across each of those lines of effort. And then ensuring that those the progress that had been made was simply irreversible. And so it was clearly conditions driven. And I, you know, over the last two and a half years, um, I've been doing regular conditions check myself, personally to keep myself on track to see how well we were uh, tracking against those expectations. And then when I, you know, there were a couple of things uh, that happened late last year, which were instrumental in quite frankly, you know, accelerating my decision. One of them being the decision that the army made to establish or change how we were budgeting for IT across the Army. And that has been a, a long-standing challenge in the, in the Army for a long, long time. And quite frankly, it, it was called out as one of the key changes that we needed to make from a perspective in the Army. And uh, when we had that knocked out, you know, I told myself, hey, you know, uh, my job's done. Now, we know the job is never done. In case of folks aren't familiar, what was that change to budgeting? I think, uh, I think it's something that's going to come, if I remember correctly, either in 24 or 25, as you guys do the planning forward. The way the Army has always budgeted for IT is that it had to compete with all kinds of other priorities in the Army. So we have uh, other buckets where, you know, the Army's budget goes into one is the, you know, one is for manning the Army, one is for equipping the Army, one is for sustaining the Army, and one for Army readiness. And so, so we always, IT investments had to compete against each one of those priorities. And as you can, you know, imagine, it has not worked well so well for us. And and so we were always competing against something that was a higher priority. And based on that, what happened was a lot of the important requirements that we had was never really funded at the level it needed to. What we also saw was budget requests going into multiple buckets. And so there was some duplication of efforts. It was heavily decentralized. Uh, all of the requirements were coming down from the commands and would go up to, you know, what's called these program evaluation groups or PEGs. And then, quite frankly, the CIO never really had a seat in the table, you know, to be able to advise, you know, these peg chairs in terms of, you know, what the priorities were for the network and for digital and how they needed to be, you know, realigned or in some cases divested. And hence, you know, the Army kept buying the, the same old, same old, was funding the same old, same old. And uh, quite frankly, the CIO was not in a position to really influence or change any of that. And so for the budget cycle that starts 2025, FY25, the CIO now has, you know, with the G6, you know, co-chair what's called the Digital Requirements and Resourcing Construct or DRRC, as we call it. 
And what, what the Army has done this year is we've moved about $5 billion of the $16 billion budget under this new construct, where the CIO now gets to prioritize the requirements. We do the racking and stacking of the priorities. And then we decide, you know, uh, based upon uh, urgent requirements and, and future modernization efforts, how we need to rebalance the portfolio. And then we are also taking an active look at, you know, where the divestment opportunities are. And we can do all of this under this construct. And it is, we are autonomous in terms of this decision making. Obviously, all decisions at the end of the day for budgeting go up to the secretary and the chief of staff of the army to make. But right now with this new framework, we have technical experts on my team, financial management experts on my team, along with, you know, my counterpart, General Morrison and his team, actually making these decisions and trade-offs. And it's a far, far more effective process than the Army has ever known before. As you mentioned, this is just the first kind of round of it. You'll go really into it in, in uh, 2025 and beyond. What makes you comfortable that this is actually doing the right thing, making good progress? I imagine there's a little bit of the crawl, walk, run to use the, the technology uh, analogy. You're seeing how it works. That's why it's probably only $5 billion of $16 billion. But talk a little bit about the process. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it starts with really looking at the big changes that we've already made over the last two years. And, and cloud is one perfect example. The rate at which we've, you know, we've implemented cloud across the Army has now led us to really rethink some of the existing programs for which we had requirements five years ago, right? I'll give you a really, really, really simple example. We know that we're under a mandate to migrate to Windows 11 across the Army. And yet what we've done just in the last six months is we've established a virtual desktop infrastructure in the cloud that's now pushing out Windows 11 to every device that's either a government furnished equipment or even a personal laptop. It doesn't matter. So, so cloud has really accelerated our efforts to get to Windows 11. And yet if we were doing it the, the, the old way, which was, you know, the army budgeting for a Windows 11 implementation, it would have meant that the Army would have to buy a large number of new laptops to support the new hardware requirements that comes from Windows 11. And so what we're now doing with this new framework, which is, you know, we're, able, we're much more agile in terms of saying, okay, hey, you know, this is, a, this is how fast we'll come with some of these centralization efforts for the cloud. And so we now need to re, realign what we had originally scoped out and move the funds to places where that, that enables a greater centralization. Because again, that's what cloud brings you, much, much greater centralization. And so this is the, the rebalancing that is happening now. And we wanted to start off in a, at a scale that was manageable for FY25. So we're, you know, we've gone after the bulk of what we're calling the network sub-portfolio in the, in, the, in the digital portfolio. So this is all things network, SATCOM, data centers, cloud, how we buy circuits, how we do licenses, and all of that associated with the network. And then my intent and hope is that you know, when we do this well, next year we will start to add other parts of the sub-portfolio under this new construct, things like business systems, and then some of the larger acquisition programs like tactical radios and so on and so forth. So that's how we will slowly scale up and ramp up to the full portfolio. But we're going this year after the, the part of the portfolio that requires the greatest help right now, and especially because of so much progress we have made with the unified network and cloud, that was important for us to, you know, to rebalance that sub-portfolio. As you all know, the, one of the big challenges for DOD across the board, and really every agency, is this idea of color of money. 
Does this new approach address that issue of color of money a little bit, meaning you have one of your money or multiple of your money that expires? Yeah, and it's a great question because I think one of the strategic decisions we made last year is essentially for anything that's in the digital portfolio, we're never really going to transition anything into sustainment. So we've made a decision that we're all in on DevSecOps. And as you know, DevSecOps means it's a continuous, it's a continuum you know, between development and operations and nothing really ever transitioned into something called sustainment. So software is never really done. And, and so, so the Army has openly embraced that concept and that decision has now been made by our Army senior leaders. So all programs moving forward in the Army will follow this methodology moving forward. So what this also means is from how we acquire, you know, the capabilities, we are also moving much more towards as a service model. So a combination of DevSecOps and moving to everything as a service now means that we can, and I won't say we will completely eliminate the need for different colors of money, but this now reduces the barriers and the artificial barriers that we've established between different colors of money. Because if you remember, the different colors of money essentially follow a very linear path of something in development, you know, moving to deployment and then moving to sustainment. And what we're now saying is that, hey, you know, with DevSecOps, we're, you know, it's, we're, you know, we're kind of, you know, blurring those lines. And when you procure something as a service, essentially, you know, this is now more of an OpEx model rather than a CapEx model. And so cloud is a perfect example where, you know, we don't have to use procurement dollars. We're using, you know, operations and maintenance dollars to procure cloud services. And so that's the model that we're moving to. It is going to be a maturity. And I, I think if you look at some of the announcements we made, whether it's looking at SATCOM as a service or radios as a service, clearly cloud is already a service, network as a service. We're really moving to this model of everything as a service in the Army. You've done a nice job of showing me where things are different today than they were two years ago. The one question that always comes up is, okay, when a leader like yourself leaves, and this is true for any organization, how do you ensure that organizations don't slip backwards? How do you ensure that there's still this kind of push to go forward? What are some of those ways you're institutionalizing these changes? I think the budget one, as an example, is a good one. It's for 2025. General Morrison's co-leading this. He's not going anywhere, as far as I know. But how about these other changes like cloud and DevSecOps and, and some of these and, and VDI? How do you ensure that they continue to move forward? No, absolutely. I, I made sure right up front that every one of these efforts and initiatives, even though the CIO and I established some of the vision, this is never about the CIO. This is always about a big army effort, which means that we did everything we could from the, from the get-go to make sure this was highly collaborative and make, make sure that we had all of the stakeholders engaged in the decision-making in getting to consensus. And quite frankly, you know, this was frustrating even for me initially when I saw how long certain decisions took compared to how quickly we could make that in the private sector. But I became a huge fan of understanding how the process works because, you know, when you're, when you're able to take time and you're able to bring stakeholders together and you convince them, you know, why something's a great idea, now you have everybody's buying and support. And so every one of these things that I talked about is an enterprise-led effort. General Morris and I have, you know, have done a tremendous job, you know, aligning all the stakeholders across the PEOs who are executing the mission to NETCOM, who is, you know, operating the network, to Army Cyber Command that's defending the network, um, you know, to all of the headquarters staff elements, you know, at the Pentagon, who all have various equities and stakes in this, as well as industry, who have been great partners. And so, so I think this, this approach 
essentially means that, you know, we've spent a lot of time educating everybody on the value proposition, why it's a great idea, why it is in the army's best interest and their best interest. And when you do that, I'm 100% confident, and that's what we've done. I'm 100% confident that this is going to stick. And so what fails and where the army has failed in the past is, you know, when you have one senior leader making all the decisions and, and some people may like and some others people may not like. And you, as you know, any bureaucracy will just wait out for that leader to leave. And so that is why this was for me, this was more than just about me. This was much bigger that we included army senior leaders in decision-making, the undersecretary of the army, the vice chief of the staff of the army, the secretary, the chief have all been engaged in these decisions. Even the big ones around, you know, the change to the budgeting process. Those were decisions that were made by senior leaders above me. We enabled those decisions. We showed them why it's a good idea. We brought everybody to the table, but every one of these decisions were made by army senior leaders. And I'm hundred percent confident they're here to stay. Dr. Iyer, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Raj Iyer, the Army Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dr. Raj Iyer, the Army Chief Information Officer. Dr. Iyer, as you know, this is an exit interview of sorts as you are leaving your position as of February 10th. One of the things when you talk about all the accomplishments you had and you talk about the, the digital transformation strategy and the lines of effort, you talk about moving to the cloud, the VDI. When you look back over the last few years, which accomplishment or which sets of accomplishments are you most proud of for the Army that your office and, and your organization helped lead? Yeah, I'd say the biggest area where we've had the, the impact is in the warfighting space, quite frankly, because we always knew that you know the cloud journey for the army would be non-traditional. You know, we're not the private sector where we're just interested in moving apps to the cloud as a, you know, for cost takeout. For us, this was never about efficiencies. It was about effectiveness from a warfighting perspective. And I can tell you the partnerships that we established very early on with all of the cores and divisions in the army, you know, starting with the 82nd, the 101st, the 80, you know, the 18th Airborne Corps, the 1st Corps, the 5th Corps, I mean, the 3rd Corps. I mean, I can go down the list of folks, you know, that we have brought to the table in terms of them leveraging our Sea Army Cloud for multiple experimentation and exercises. Because at the end of the day, it was about how we operationalize this cloud capability for warfighting. And that's what this capability was all about. And to us, it was not sufficient to say, hey, let's just move a few apps over to the cloud. It was really now, how do we enable cloud as that innovation platform for our warfighters and I can tell you the team has done a tremendous job bringing, you know, these units to the table, helping them think through how they're going to fight differently with cloud, exploring things like, you know, how do we get to distributed command and control? How do we do, you know, command posts on the move? How do we make sure we are able to communicate in contested environments? How do we really reimagine what it means to work in degraded, disconnected, and intermittent network environments, you know, leveraging things like Leo and Mio. I mean, every one of these things has really changed the nature of warfighting for our divisions and corps. And that is probably the biggest impact that we've had in the Army. And the other thing, too, is now that the units actually own this, it is here to stay because they see the value proposition. 
they see how this can improve, you know, their warfighting capabilities and mission effectiveness. And when we look at when we look at it from that perspective, this is no longer something which is pushing top down from headquarters down to the units. This is really, you know, a bottoms up approach where they own this. They see why this is important to them and they are pulling it now from us rather than us pushing it to them. If you can, give me maybe one example of that happening, of that push-up. If I saw you, you posted maybe something recently on LinkedIn, or maybe there was an article that uh, on army.mil about uh, the command post that used to take hours to set up, and then you could set it up now in minutes or seconds or whatever it was. I'm not sure if that's a good example, if there's a better one. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great one, right? I mean, if we got if we got to do distributed command and control, when we, you know, God forbid, we got to fight against, you know, very technologically sophisticated, you know, adversary. We know that how we've been fighting at the brigade combat team level against insurgents and, and terrorists is very, very different. And so, so we got to be where we are able to move rapidly. We're agile in terms of splitting out our warfighting functions. And what's going to be needed to support that is data on the move and comms on the move. And so the days where, you know, you, you know, all the decisions get made in a fixed command post where all your networks come into one location, you have all your tactical server infrastructure in one location, you have all your satellites, you know, in one place is just not survivable. And so this is the, one of the areas where, you know, the first core out of JBLM has, doing, has been doing a tremendous job. The U.S. Army Pacific has been doing a tremendous job in looking at how can we take compute and store on the move, put them on, you know, striker units and platforms, and then how can they reach back to data back at JBLM through something like Starlink? What are the issues they're going to run into in terms of latency, in terms of bandwidth? How much data needs to be at, you know, at various echelons? for decision-making, where do you want to run your AI algorithms for things like targeting and object recognition, um, you know, and, and how sophisticated does that capability need to be? These are the questions that are being answered by our cores and divisions today. And so every one of them are on a different path. What we have done over the last few months is we've brought all of these experimentation efforts into an integrated plan. Because if we didn't do that, what we saw was, you know, there's just so much innovation that was coming out from each of the units that we saw some duplication of effort and we, you know, we were, we ran the risk of having again, very siloed architectures. So the role that my office has been playing is leveraging all of the lessons learned that's coming out of these, these experimentation exercises. And by the way, some of the lessons learned that's come in from, you know, current operations in, you know, in the European theater in support of Ukraine, looking at then how we continuously evolve to that future state architecture that brings all of these digital technologies together and then to be able to support, um, you know, those warfighter needs. Dr. Iyer, there's a lot more I could talk to you about that progress you made uh, for the warfighter. But conversely, I'm going to throw this at you because I want to make sure we get this in. What do you wish you would have made more progress against? What are some of those things that maybe are on that to-do list for the next uh, Army CIO, whoever he or she may be? We have just started our major realignment towards zero trust. And I know we've all been talking about zero trust now for a while. We've, you know, for the first few months, we, you know, we were throwing things around like it was a buzzword. Then we talked about zero trust principles. I think just over the last three or four months, the army has really come together with a solid zero trust implementation plan. And one of the things that we had to do was to really take a look at our, all our ongoing efforts uh, under cybersecurity, whether it was things like Comply to Connect, ICANN, 
whether it was, um, uh, you know, our ITSM implementation, our SASE implementation, all of these had to be had to get realigned against the zero trust reference architecture. And then they needed to truly be integrated because if we didn't have them integrated, then they were just discrete capabilities that may or may not have met, you know, the zero trust principles. So this effort was completed. We now have a really solid plan in place. We established a functional management office at Army Cyber Command to lead the Zero Trust program. We actually branded it now. We're calling it Night's Watch, which is the Army's now Zero Trust implementation program. And we have aligned all of the funding and resources to make sure that they're all kind of pulling together, you know, you know to meet that unified integrated effort. Now, the key challenge here is going to be for the army, you asked about, you know, work to be done and why this is so hard. Zero trust is a very, very different approach to cybersecurity protection than the network defense approach in the past. And so this is a big culture change. This is a big change for folks that have to now look at how they need to protect the data. And it's not just about protecting the network, which we have done very well in the past, but this is now pivoting to, you know, data centricity and how we protect the crown jewels, that's our data. And so when you look at it from that perspective, everybody now has a role to play in the enterprise when it comes to zero trust. System owners have to now tag data. They have to now establish the business rules and the policies around who gets access access to what data and under what conditions. We have to set the business rules around how we're going to integrate real-time threat intelligence and how and when we, we stop access to data to somebody and what the operational impacts might be if they, if they can't access data because of you know, the environment or the cybersecurity landscape um, at that moment in time. So all of this is maturity and evolution that the Army and, quite frankly, the rest of the DOD is going to have to mature to because it is not as easy as just saying, hey, we're going to configure a bunch of firewalls and routers, and either we're going to let you in because, you know, we, we were able to authenticate your CAT card, or we couldn't authenticate you, so you got access to nothing. So this is now much more, you know, granular, attribute-based access control. It is real-time threat intelligence-based access and every single time you need access to something, we're now going to be, you know, validating your credentials, the network you're coming in, the device you're coming in with. All of those need to be, you know, validated, and that's going to be a big culture change for the Army. And so we're going to start small in this like everything else, but clearly between now and 2025, 2026, you know, we're going to have to be mature enough as an enterprise, as an Army, for both the enterprise side and the tactical side to be able to mature to zero trust. And that is to me, um, you know, work that has just begun. Um, We've mobilized the army. We've we've educated everybody on, you know, why this is needed and what they got to do. But this is going to be a big change for the army. And I know that this is also connected back to the DOD, bigger strategy for zero trust. So there's a lot of coordination going on there. In the minute or so we have left, uh, the one question I got to always ask you is what comes next for you? You've, I know, spent many, many years in the Army. You went to the private sector. You came back to the Army. Are you going back to the private sector? Are you going to go to Florida and retire? What's, what's the plan? Oh, I still have way too much energy left uh, to retire. So my hope is to go back to the private sector. Um, it'll probably be a, a Silicon Valley tech-based company. And I uh, want to do something different this time. I've, you know, I've been in a startup. I've been in management consulting. And now I want to go back to being on the product side of things. The Army is my passion, and I'll find a way to stay engaged with the Army in some way. It runs deep in the blood, and we'll see what the future has to hold. But I I truly believe that, you know, the things that we've done as an Army 
uh, are here to stay, you know, with or without me. And, uh, and I will proudly watch the, the success that we have from the outside. And then finally, when is your official last day? Yeah, my last day at the Pentagon will be uh, February the 10th. Dr. Iyer, we could talk much longer, but I, I do see we're out of time, so I will let you go. Uh, let me thank my guest. Uh, Dr. Raj Iyer is the Army Chief Information Officer. Uh, Raj, thanks so much for your time today. And of course, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure talking to you. We have to take a break. In the next two segments, we continue to learn about the Army's technology plans and priorities. I'll play an excerpt of a speech by General John Morrison, the Army's G6. He spoke at the recent FCA Nova Army IT Day. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In the next two segments, we continue to learn about the Army's technology plans and priorities. You hear an excerpt from a recent panel discussion featuring General John Morrison, the Army's G6. He spoke at the recent FCA Nova Army IT Day. The last couple years has really been about establishing where we wanted to go, coming up with this framework for the unified network. And we've talked many times before that the unified network is not a thing. It, it is an operational framework that really allows us to unify our strategic, operational, and tactical efforts, and then, quite frankly, break through bureaucratic processes that have held us up, especially in the cybersecurity domain, and then really get after our people and align force structure, the capabilities, so that we can actually deploy anywhere in the world, immediately arrive, connect, fight, and win. And so we set that foundation. I, I will tell you, it took, it took some work to get the rest of the Army to really buy into it. Uh, but I will tell you, Army senior leaders, it is now their idea. We've got the signal and cyber communities completely aligned about driving on this notion of a unified network. So we're transitioning from establishing the idea and aligning our efforts across the Army to really getting after a year that is going to entail two things, implementation and acceleration. And so that alignment is allowing us to do a couple different things. We've really gotten after aligning our requirements so that now we are not going after things in a bifurcated stovepipe manner across our Army where we're trying to get after the same operational capabilities. That's absolutely critical. That, that is foundational. And by doing that alignment of our requirements, it helps out our acquisition teammates. It helps our Army understand where they see themselves and where they plug into the broader unified network effort. But most importantly, it allows us to align our precious resources against the most important things we must do first. Now, the under probably talked to you about our capability portfolio reviews that really drove it harmonizing and integrating our requirements. That has led us on a path of establishing really this idea of the central delivery of services and going after new business models, which I would really like to have a conversation with our industry partners about, where we're getting things as a service or maybe even a mix and all the second and third order effects that comes with that, especially when it comes to supporting operations. Think about the exchange of critical threat information that we will have to have in that hybrid environment so that we both understand the operating landscape so that missions and operations cannot be impacted. The acceleration component of it is key 
because there's no reason for us to wait for some arbitrary mark on the wall to get after the central delivery of services. If we are providing a capability from the enterprise and we've got unit X that is out there and they are procuring a similar capability that can be satisfied through the central delivery of services, why wait? And that is what, quite frankly, Army senior leaders are demanding of us at this point. There is no need to wait. If we've identified what the requirement is and we've got a better way to deliver that to the entire Army that gets after this notion of a unified network, that end-to-end visibility that we can maneuver in a contested and congested environment, why wait? And so that's what we're embarking on now. And we've got several initiatives underway that I would be happy to discuss that we're going to execute in 23 and 24 so that as we move into FY25 and start building the next budget, we're making assumptions that we've already accomplished the bunch of work. And so with that, I, I really look forward to the discussion today. Uh, these sessions with our industry partners are absolutely critical because I will tell you the days of the Army building its own capabilities only and deploying them are gone. It will always be a mix of commercial and military unique capabilities, and that's what's going to make us effective. And all of us must be in because, quite frankly, our adversaries are all in. And so with that, I look forward to it. Darby, over to you. Great. Thank you. Uh, We'll pick up on the requirements piece kind of right off the bat. So last year, it was a virtual event, as you guys remember, and we sat in your conference room in the Pentagon. And after I got through some PTSD walking back in there, I I rallied. But you had talked about ICAM in particular and how you were finalizing the requirements data package. And um, obviously that had some cross-service touch points, and it was being, you know, staffed through the I don't want to say the full JROC process, but there was obviously some JROC coordination. And uh, we've seen a number of RFIs come out, and there's been a number of pilots and incremental improvements. What, what do you see happening around ICAM, like a definitive action in the next 12 to 18 months? We still have some work to do on the, the formal requirement itself, uh, quite frankly, just because of transitions across the Army and a couple other extringent reasons. We got a little bit slowed down. Break, break, but that hasn't slowed down what we're implementing from an ICAM solution. Matter of fact, at the strategic and operational levels, we're accelerating our efforts, uh, principally centered around audit requirements and really getting after that, but principally, I say, but foundationally, because if we're going to move to this notion of zero trust, foundational to that is ICAM. So what will you see over the next 12 to 18 months? We'll, We'll just do next 12 you'll see the acceleration of ICAM that really starts getting after the ability to do auditability at the strategic and operational levels with a principal focus on our business systems. You will see, uh, especially in the Indo-PACOM AOR, we will start to do tactical level zero trust pilots, but ICAM is obviously foundational to that, that we will focus on with the first core headquarters and the user pack headquarters. So we can start extending those zero trust principles from the enterprise read strategic and operational levels down into the tactical levels. That is all married up with what we're doing with the Army data plan and this notion of capabilities that we know we need to iterate and grow, we put in the hands of units, and instead of pulling those back when we're done with an experiment or an exercise, we're going to leave it there and, and quite frankly, allow the unit to continue to iterate. 
I see up on the screen a what are some of the unclassified C3 lessons coming out of the Ukraine. I, I will tell you principally is that if we need to mature an operational capability and it is providing value added, leave it with the unit because that operational demand makes the machine turn much, much faster and quite frankly leads to a much more refined requirements development and a much more refined, adaptive, and accelerated capability development. And, and quite frankly, I, I think uh, the chief of staff out of USERPAC said it best. If you're giving me a capability that I can't do today and I'm 10% better, then I'm 10% better. And now think about it. Next year, you're 15% better, 20% better. But this notion of iterative development is going to be absolutely key. And so I, I'm very comfortable where we're heading from an ICAM perspective. The ICAM requirements definition package that will come through will help us solidify that requirement. When I say that requirement, it's really going to be that glue that ties what we're doing at the strategic operational level and making sure that transcends down to the tactical level. That's the component of it that we're going to make sure that we formalize and we make sure that we're moving in a harmonious manner. So not to pin you down, but after that kind of 12 months that you just described that to and pin you, me down. Right, right. No, no, exactly. We're going to be wrestling up here, folks. Hang right. on. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, but coming on the back end of that, do you see that kind of manifesting itself in a request for proposals so that the, the industry folks that have been watching this, or do you see that kind of being more of a set of an overarching proposal, you're going to be kind of hitting the different commands based on their unique operational requirements? Or yeah, you know, so unique operational requirements. I, I almost challenge the notion of this continuously unique operational requirements. There are foundational things that we must do, and then we tailor the one-offs based off the foundational things that we must do. Um, we can't go the other direction where everybody says they're special and different. Right. That won't work if we want to get after what we really want to get after is this notion of join all the main command and control and take it from being a concept to taking it to being reality. And just the mere notion of unique command requirements takes us away from that. I'm not going to get into the acquisition components of it. I'll, I'll leave that to Tony Potts and, and those folks. What I am going to say is we will have the requirement for, formalized here in short order. that will be that glue that goes from strategic operational to tactical. Uh, keep your eyes on what EIS is doing at the strategic and operational level because it is moving at a pretty good clip uh, even today because we have to get after setting the foundation for the unified network and ICAM. If you're going to build zero trust principles into that notion, it's absolutely the foundational thing we must do. And then we're going to start extending those kind of capabilities into the tactical space. We have to take a break. You're listening to an excerpt of a speech by General John Morrison, the Army's G6. He spoke at the recent FCA Nova Army IT Day. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this segment, we continue to hear from General John Morrison, the Army's G6. He spoke at the recent FCA Nova Army IT Day. Can you talk a little bit about some of your initiatives? Um, you know, we've, we've heard lots of different statements and discussions around Army data centers and some of the standardization across the next. And I know there's been some standardization that's definitely happened that's really going well. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on that? I, you know, so I'm not going to use the term standardization because um, I think that's a misnomer. 
uh, when you use the term standardization, it, it goes to one size fits all. And, you know, it's sort of like right. in years past where we tried to standardize our command posts. Well, you can standardize the command post all day long, but you can't standardize commanders because everybody needs to see information different. But, but there are core capabilities that we want to put in place that then you can tailor based off of the needs of what the commander needs to see. The, uh, I'm going to break this into two parts. One, I'm going to break it into a unified network perspective, and then I do want to talk a little bit about what we're doing with the Army data plan. Uh, because you can't separate data from the network from the operational outcomes. It, you, you just cannot do it. So from a unified network perspective, we are moving towards the, this notion of central delivery of services. And we are going to centrally uh, put those services underneath Army Cyber as the operator of the Army's uh, Department of Defense Information Network. We, we're going to centrally do that because we have one person that's responsible for the operations, maintenance, security, and defense, and quite frankly, the maneuvering of the Doden in support of operations, and that's Army Cyber. That's going to harmonize and accelerate, again, implementation and acceleration, our movement towards this notion of unified net ops. Now, there is a unified net ops uh, requirements documents out there. We've got the ICAM RDP and several other ones that are going to be coming behind it that are going to significantly increase our ability to do three things. One, it's going to align capabilities on echelon throughout our Army, strategic, operational, all the way down to the tactical edge. Two, it's going to help us align our force structure from strategic, operational, all the way down to the tactical edge. And then the third most important thing it's going to do, think about what it just did to our training. So right now, if I take somebody out of a BCT and I even put them up at core, it's going to be different. And certainly, if I take somebody from a core and I put them in a regional cyber center, the look and feel is going to be different. Now we're going to have that commonality all the way up and down the chain. So we're starting with things like our help desk. I'm not even going to tell you how many help desks we have in the United States Army. But we're going to do Tier 0 and Tier 1 through Army Cyber and NETCOM, and then let functionals tailor for those other specific things they need to do, think IPSA, outside of that. And so it's a much more pragmatic. We are getting after unified SEAM right now so that we can respond to events in the totality of the network, no matter what echelon it's at, strategic, operational, and tactical. And that's stuff that we're doing right now. But again, it's all through the central delivery of capabilities uh, that we're moving towards. Now, Here's the other part of it, and I know I'm getting a little bit off track, and I want to get to the Army data plan, but I think it's important. Some of that is as a service. Some of that is we're going to build it and take it with us, but it will tie back in. And some of it's going to be hybrid even into the tactical echelons, meaning as a service capabilities impacting what operational formations and contact may be doing. Think about what a different model that is for all of us to think our way through. We have to understand each other's security practices. We, gotta under, we have to understand how we're going to hand off incidents depending on what side of the infrastructure it may be on. We're going to have to figure out ways in a much more agile and adaptive and faster way share threat information because we're going to be reliant on each other. 
And so the second and third order of things that we as a broader community on behalf of our nation need to work are, are fairly significant, and we're going to need to think our way through it, especially as it starts extending into conducting tactical operations. You know, I, I think on the enterprise and strategic side, I mean, this could be relatively straightforward, but boy, the, the nuance is going to be when it t- actually touches a tactical environment. And so we talked about this hybrid cloud that will be both on-prem at strategic and operational levels and then on-prem at the tactical level, same, same. Because the data that you need may reside in different locations as we start laying in what that architecture truly looks like. So that's a challenge for everybody in the room that we are all going to need to work our way through. I find it exciting and filled with opportunity and promise. But transparency, being very, very candid, Thinking operationally are going to be very, very critical to that endeavor. Break, break, moving that to the Army uh, data plan. And so you've heard me talk about it before, a, a, a razor focus on what we're trying to do to echelon those kind of capabilities to enable, to enable data and faster decision-making and decision dominance in support of multi-domain ops on the Indo-PACOM AOR. Uh, a team going out this week to start working through the use cases. Uh, we are going to focus first on how do we rapidly adult, evolve a ability to do a log cop out in the Indo-PACOM AOR. Uh, we're going to do it based off the capabilities that uh, we had out at Project Convergence 22. We're going to leave them in place with user pack and first core, and we're going to iterate so that we can figure out that echelonment and what does this new operating model really, really, really look like? You know, and it will be through a series of exercises that are ongoing, but I would submit to you it will also probably extend into just day-to-day operations, you know, as UserPack interacts with Indopiacom and all the advantages of getting a geographic combatant commander putting operational demands down onto an ASCC. Uh, and we will continue our efforts that we're doing with 18th Airborne Corps so that we've got a couple different places that we're learning from. And then we will have AFC, Army Futures Command, inject appropriately so that we can, between the two approaches that we're taking, figure out what's going to be the big Army application so then we can proliferate it. But again, it's about setting that foundation that is common to all, but leaving that ability to tailor based off of how the operational environment changes or based off of how a commander needs to actually see information to achieve the decision dominance. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt of a speech and answers to questions by General John Morrison, the Army's G6. He spoke at the recent FCA Nova Army IT Day. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.